Hello and welcome to the November 2021 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, and this month I visited a dentist for the first time in, well, a very long time. I didn't get told off too much, but I did have to book a follow-up appointment. And in the few days it took me to do that, the dentist I saw left the practice. Now, I'm not one of those people who thinks everything's about me, but I still find it a bit difficult not to take that personally. Anyway, this month's hot topic is the spectre of rising inflation, so I'll be talking to Linda Whitney and Derry Pickford about that a bit later on. But first, here's the rest of this month's pensions news. The Chancellor published his autumn budget on the 27th of October. You know the drill by now. A few weeks of feverish speculation about big changes to pensions taxation, followed by a speech that barely mentions pensions at all. That said, there were a couple of points worth noting. The first one is a consultation on further changes to the DC charge cap. At the moment, where a DC scheme is being used to satisfy auto-enrolment duties, the charges on any default investment option are capped at 0.75% a year. Some changes had already been introduced in October to encourage investment in illiquid assets, and the government's now going to be consulting by the end of the year on options to further amend the scope of the cap so pension savers can benefit from higher return investments. I think in practice we can link all of this back to the government's call for an investment big bang a couple of months ago. The second one's actually picking up a loose end from this Chancellor's first budget back in March 2020. Following a call for evidence, the government's now tried to resolve the issues around the inconsistency between the two different tax relief approaches for those earning less than the personal allowance. However, this will be complex to achieve and HMRC won't be ready until at least 2024. The proposed solution here will also require low earners in net pay arrangements to take action themselves to address the anomaly. The consultation response published alongside the budget says HMRC will notify individuals that they are eligible for a top-up and individuals will be invited to provide the necessary details for HMRC to be able to make the payment to them. The average top-up here is only expected to be worth £53, so this barrier may lead to many of the 1.2 million eligible low earners not actually receiving any payment. The Pensions Minister has said he intends to legislate for a statement season where benefit statements for all schemes either have a common valuation date or are published at the same time. The idea here is that this would maximise impact and stimulate greater debate among the public. These comments came shortly after Passer's Benefit Statements Working Group had voiced some concerns about the practicalities of a statement season. They noted that the idea of a common valuation date would be complex to implement and wouldn't really provide any additional benefit to members. While a common publication date is more appealing, this comes with its own issues, particularly the resourcing crunch it would create for administrators. While we're on the topic of benefit statements, the DWP's published final regulations and statutory guidance on simpler annual benefit statements for members of DC schemes. The requirements are largely in line with the proposals put forward for consultation earlier this year. Check out the June 2021 episode of this podcast for further details. However, one key change here is the implementation date. Given the industry's concerns about the amount of time needed to adopt the new requirements, this has been pushed back from the 6th of April to the 1st of October 2022. Right at the end of September, PASA published some more guidance on GMP equalisation. The first bit of guidance highlights tips and techniques for best practice communications. Things like putting the member's perspective at the centre of your thinking, layering information for those who want to know more and focusing on what the member truly needs to know. 
GMP equalization is a topic where you may actively want to give the member early permission to disengage. It can be a bit of an iceberg with lots to do under the surface, but the member usually only needs and wants to know about the tip of the iceberg, so don't sink them with too much detail or jargon. This was then followed by some guidance on anti-franking. Now, if GMP equalization makes you think of reaching for a cold towel, then anti-franking in GMP equalization will definitely make you do that. The passive guidance does helpfully explain why anti-franking matters for GMP equalization, including digging into some of the issues and examples for how to manage them. But this podcast is definitely not the place for me to go into lots of detail on that. So I think I'll leave it there. A couple of years ago, the PLSA published a set of retirement living standards that were designed to help people picture the lifestyle they want when they retire and understand the cost of that lifestyle. I talked to Steve Lee and Maddie Kane about this back in December 2019 on this very podcast. Uh, But just as a very quick summary, the standards look at three different baskets of goods and services that correspond to a minimum, moderate and comfortable retirement living standard. The PLSA have now carried out their first review of these standards, updating them for both changes in prices and changes in spending habits. The budget for the minimum standard has increased to £10,900 a year for a single person and £16,700 a year for a couple, largely driven by higher transport costs, although there were some eye-catching changes picked up in the press, including more for haircuts and the addition of a Netflix subscription. The moderate level was increased to £20,800 a year for a single person and £30,600 a year for a couple, with council tax and eating out being some of the main contributors to that increase. At the top end, the comfortable level was increased to £33,600 a year for a single person and £49,700 a year for a couple, with the annual maintenance and servicing of a burglar alarm being included for the first time. While it's fun to look at what's been added or removed to the baskets here, the key point is that if any element of your scheme design or member communications is based on these standards, you may need to review your setup to reflect the changes. The DWPs launched a consultation on proposals that would require trustees to measure and report on their alignment to the key goal from the Paris Climate Agreement which is limiting the global average temperature increase to 1.5 degrees centigrade. This would apply from the 1st of October 2022, and it would affect all schemes that are in scope for the TCFD requirements at that time. The consultation also includes new draft guidance for trustees on describing their climate change and stewardship policies in the Statement of Investment Principles, and further draft guidance on the DWP's expectations for implementation statements. This consultation will run until the 6th of January 2022. And finally, Aeon's Global Pension Risk Survey is due to be released during the first week of November, and we're running a webinar at 2.30pm on the 4th of November to highlight the key UK findings from the survey. With over a decade of trends to draw on, we'll be looking at how schemes are evolving their risk management policies to cover a wider range of risks as they continue on their journey. I'll include a registration link in the show notes for those of you keen enough to be listening to this podcast before the 4th of November. I'm hoping the rest of you can also use the same link to request access to a recording, but if that doesn't work, please drop me an email and I'll point you in the right direction. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. I'm not quite old enough to remember the 1970s myself, but when I think of the 70s, the kind of things that come to mind are disco, glam rock, flares, strikes and inflation. 
One of these things has been making a bit of a comeback recently, so today's interview is all about the music of T-Rex. No, of course not, it's inflation. You may have noticed inflation's been all over the news recently, and I mean the actual news here, not just the pensions press, so we couldn't really avoid talking about it today. To help us understand what's going on and what it means for pension schemes, I'm joined by Linda Whitney, who's one of Aon's retirement consultants, and Derry Pickford from our global asset allocation team. So, Linda, can you start by just giving us a quick summary of what's happening with inflation at the moment? Certainly, Ricky. Well, it's not quite at 1970s levels, that's for sure. And also, the number of different measures has multiplied quite a lot since then. So, we're looking at the retail prices index, the consumer prices index, and also CPIH. So, RPI, CPI, CPIH. Um, What's the difference between them, you might ask? Well, the difference between RPI and CPI is a combination of the way in which they put their baskets of goods together and the way in which they do the calculations. Um, CPI is now the more respected and more headline measure. And CPIH specifically includes housing costs, which weren't included in the original specification of CPI. And it's actually CPIH that you're likely to see on the news these days. So, in September, we saw CPIH at 2.9%, we saw CPI at 3.1%, and RPI at 4.9%. Now, which of those increases apply to your pension scheme can depend on all sorts of factors, but it's an interesting area to explore. Thanks, Linda. Now, Derry, I've heard some economists say we don't need to worry about inflation being high because this is all transitory. Uh, what does transitory mean in this context? And are they right to say we don't need to worry? Well, transitory just means temporary. Typically, when we look at inflation, we're looking at the change in consumer prices over the year. So if you get a one-off change to the level of prices, then it will keep the inflation rate elevated for a whole year before returning back to normal. For for households, that still means the cost of living has risen. So yes, they should worry. But for central banks, it means that there's little point in reacting as anything they do will tend to only reduce the inflation rate after it's already gone down. However, it's not really clear that this inflation is only a short term temporary phenomenon. We keep on getting lots of shocks to prices, whether it's gas, the cost of secondhand cars or, or building materials. And now wage inflation has also started to accelerate, which might lead to more widespread and more persistent inflation. So I think policymakers and also pension schemes should all be a bit concerned about what's going on. So what might that mean in practice for investment portfolios? If inflation stays high, then that means that interest rates tend to go up. Whilst that might mean bank deposits will start to pay interest again, the true return after adjusting for the reduced spending power from that inflation will likely still be negative. Inflation is also typically bad for fixed income because not only does it reduce purchasing power, but if long-term interest rates go up, it reduces the nominal price of bonds too. Markets have already priced in likely increases over 2022. What isn't priced in, though, is if inflation still doesn't come down and the Bank of England has to keep hiking in 2023. This isn't our base case, but it certainly is a risk for bond markets. For growth assets, which include equities and real assets, such as real estate and commodities, these tend to have a bit more inbuilt uh, protection to inflation, but they're still exposed to global monetary policy, with what the US Federal Reserve does being much more important than the Bank of England. 
The Fed seems happy to only gently tighten monetary policy for the moment. But if they have to tighten more aggressively, then we could see some big falls in asset prices. Right. So I'm afraid it's crystal ball time now. How high is inflation going to get? And when can we expect it to come back down to the Bank of England's target? Well, no one knows for certain, but the UK energy regulator Ofgem is is likely to hike tariff caps again in April at the same time as hospitality back goes back to 20%. So we could see a big acceleration then if energy prices remain high. CPI inflation could be as high as 5% and, and that would mean that RPI inflation would likely be well above 6%. By the time we get to April 2023, a lot of those shocks will have dropped out even if they don't reverse. So if the economy slows down a bit because the Bank of England hikes rates, then I expect at some point in 2023, we'll get back to around target again. Thanks, Derry. Linda, if we move on to look specifically at DB schemes, where does inflation cause issues on the liability side? Well, the first place is actually where have you got pensions that are fixed, but with discretion, choice written into the rules? Pre-1997, you will have some schemes that do not have guaranteed pension increases, but ones that are set either by the trustees or the company, depends on the scheme rules. And as inflation increases, it puts more pressure on the decision makers as to whether they will provide those discretionary increases. And it might be different this time to the last time major discretionary increases were thought about when RPI went over 5% around a decade ago. Because funding's better. And again, that makes it harder then to uh, avoid the discretionary conversation. But as well as the actual discretionary decision, you've also got the impact on how you set assumptions for funding, for factors, or even for something like GMP equalisation conversion calculations. And how you set that is quite interesting because you need to look at the differences between RPI and CPI. You can measure a market price for RPI quite easily from the gilt market, but actually CPI is harder to get at. And we're also having to think of a split pre and post 2030. Um, Why do I pick 2030? Well, that's the date where we're expecting to see RPI shift and just become the label on the box where inside the box will actually be CPIH. And so you're looking at those differences between the rates over different periods. There's also still some controversy in some schemes around what does their pension increase rule actually mean? Does it say RPI and is that absolute or is there flexibility to shift to CPI? So Some of those cases are still being discussed in schemes or even going through the courts and very dependent on the specific wording of those scheme rules. So a lot of schemes out there may be thinking we've got an LDI strategy in place and a high level of inflation hedging, so we don't really need to worry about high inflation. Are they right? When at a top level, I think they probably are, Ricky, in that they have fundamentally removed the risk and broadly linked their asset strategy to what their liabilities increase by. But there will be some wrinkles around the edges. And so it does depend how crucial that perfect match is, because it won't be absolutely perfect. For example, a pension increase is more complex than just a simple link to inflation. It may have a floor of zero and a cap of five. And so actually, in practice, what's your LDI strategy doing? It's probably matching that with a mixture 
of fixed and inflation linked. And that blend won't be perfect as inflation moves around and in particularly if it's volatile with big shifts. So you also need to think about how your investment strategy and LDI needs collateral. And that is also an important part of managing the practicalities of your LDI strategy. Okay, so just to sum up, I think we've seen a lot more volatility in inflation recently. Some of the elements driving that are transitory, but there's some more worrying stuff in there as well. Inflation is going to touch on a lot of the different aspects of running pension schemes. So definitely need to stay on the agenda, both in terms of assets and liabilities for anyone running a pension scheme. So thanks very much to both of you for joining us today. And you're both more than welcome to come back if we do ever get around to doing that T-Rex episode. Thank you. Thanks, Ricky. Okay, that's everything for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to my guests, Derry Pickford and Linda Whitney. I should also say that if you'd like a copy of Derry's recent paper on UK inflation, please drop me an email, address coming up shortly. And don't worry, it's only a few pages long. I'm off to buy some dental floss, which despite my best intentions will almost certainly get lost at the back of a cupboard somewhere. I'll be back next month. And if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.